Morning. Today we have the story of God visiting Abraham, giving him the another time a promise of that son. This time, very specifically, it's going to be one year. And then uh, the fulfillment of that promise, Genesis 18, 1 to 15, and also 21, 1 to 7. God often gives us promises that are hard for us to believe. Certainly, Sarah had a difficult time believing God's promise here that even when she was about 90 years old, she would conceive and have a child. Nevertheless, God does what he promises. Long gospel, our doubt, God's grace in the face of our doubt, his fulfillment of his promises. Uh, despite our doubt, it's not the strength of our faith that receives the blessing of God but God but we receive the blessing of God and God through that blessing grants us faith. In times of financial insecurity people have a tendency to invest in gold. There's a good reason for that. The value of gold may fluctuate up and down, but it's always valuable. It never loses its value completely. Uh, investing in God's promises often seems risky to men, but from but it is more trustworthy, of course, more the, even than gold. Abraham and Sarah, throughout their lives, their faith, their trust in God's promises fluctuates. Here we see it at kind of a low point for Sarah. She doesn't really believe that God can do what he promises, even though God points out to her anything is possible for God. Yet in the end, they invest everything in God's promises, don't they? Abraham and Sarah, they left their home. Uh, they left everything they knew. And here again, they're, they're putting their full investment for the future, uh, for their continued line <laughs> into God's hands. And God fulfills his promises. That investment pays off. Investing in God's promises always pays off. In Genesis 18, 1 then the Lord appeared to him, that's Abram, by the terebinth trees of Mamre as he was sitting in the tent door in the heat of the day. It was fairly often in Eastern cultures as, as well as in you know Latin American cultures to take a siesta at the noonday, the hottest point of the day, stop work and take a break, uh, take a nap maybe. Maybe Abram was napping or, or not, we don't know. But certainly he was resting under the tree. It makes sense uh, in places where it's, it's very hot already, and the noon, at noon it's the hottest part of the day. It makes sense to take a break and wait for it to cool off a little bit. So he, Abram, lifted his eyes and looked. Behold, three men were standing by him, and when he saw them, he ran from the tent door to meet them, and bowed himself to the ground and said, My Lord, if I have now found favor in your sight, do not pass on by your servant. Please let a little water be brought and wash your feet and rest yourselves under the tree. And I will bring a morsel of bread that you may refresh your hearts. After that you may pass by, inasmuch as you have come to your servant. They said, Do as you have said. So Abram hurried into the tent to Sarah and said, Quickly, make ready three measures of fine meal, knead it, and make cakes. And Abram ran to the herd, took a tender and good calf, gave it to a young man, and he hastened to prepare it. So he took butter and milk and the calf which he had prepared and set it before them, and he stood by them under the tree as they ate. Abram went to quite a bit of work here, obviously. this uh, Everything that's described here would have taken a few hours at least. Uh, Sarah was baking bread from scratch. That's not something that you do quickly. Uh, <clears throat> perhaps she didn't wait for it to rise. Maybe this was, you know, kind of a flatbread kind of a thing. But even still, it would have taken some time. So Abram goes to quite a bit of work here to prepare to serve these men. Uh, Hebrews 13.2 is often associated with this account of, of Abraham. In Hebrews 13.2, the writer reminds us 
um, to not forget to ha- to entertain even strangers, to have to show hospitality even to strangers, because in doing so, some have entertained angels. Many people assume that he's talking about this this account right here, uh, which implies that Abram didn't know that this was the Lord and two angels. Hebrews 13.2 only applies to this passage if you assume that uh, Abram didn't know it was the Lord. There's nothing in Hebrews 13.2 that says the writer is talking about this passage. You have to first assume Abram didn't know these who these people were uh, before you can say that Hebrews 13 applies. So whether Hebrews 13.2 applies or not is, is unclear. Uh, there's certainly nothing in the text that says that Abram did know who they were. On the other hand, it's it's kind of hard for me to believe that Abram went to all of this work, uh, and and not only did he go to all this work, but he rushed to do it. You know, he was he was excited to have these these men as his guests. It's possible uh, that they were strangers, and and he was just uh, that excited to entertain strangers. But the other thing is, he calls them my lord, and that term there, my Lord, does not Im- does not mean Lord God. It's the term Adonai in the Hebrew, which simply means master. It was a term used of respect for anyone above you in authority. Uh, and it's, it's hard to understand why Abram would have used that term. Why would he have seen these people as people with authority over him if he did not know it was the Lord? There's no recorded account of Abram using this term for anyone other than God. Other people use it of Abram. For example, Sarah calls Abraham my Lord, using the same term there. And and when Abram tries to, to buy a burial plot for Sarah, the people there call Abraham my Lord. He was very wealthy, and, and so they, they gave him that, that term of respect. But there's no incident in Scripture where Abraham uses the term for anyone. Uh, and so that would kind of imply that he did know that it was God. Uh, we don't need to argue about it one way or the other. Um, Moses says three men standing by him. And that's uh, Moses talks about God appearing in the form of men in the same way other places as well. And for example, uh, when the Lord appeared to Jacob, uh, he, we're told he wrestled with a man. Uh, and it may be that Moses is emphasizing there the fact that Mo, that Ab- sorry Moses might be emphasizing the fact that Abraham did not know that this was the Lord, but he also might simply be emphasizing God's grace in appearing as one of us, humbling himself to come down. A foretaste of the incarnation, right? Uh, And whether that's the the goal of Moses or not, that is what's happening here. We have a foretaste of the incarnation. Jesus was, became flesh. He became man. And the the grace and the wonder uh, that God would choose to become one of us and walk among us in the dust of this earth, that's astounding. That's a a testament to God's grace and love. And so the the foretaste of it here, the, the appearing as a man, and even walking as a man and even eating as a man in order to have fellowship with Abraham, in order to have fellowship with us. He appears to us in a form uh, where we can comprehend him and have fellowship with him. And he, and he does that for Abraham here too. Is a wonder of his testament, a foretaste of, of Christ uh, becoming man of Emmanuel. Uh, also, it's a reminder of the way he appeared to Adam and Eve. He appeared, he appeared uh, to them in the garden. And the implication there is, again, that he appeared to them in a similar way uh, as a man, uh, as one of them, um, not coming with thunder and lightning from heaven, but c- coming in grace and mercy to forgive their sins. 
So here he also uh, appears to Abram and to us as a man, uh, walks with him, has me has a meal with him, has fellowship with him. He uh, he has a meal with us as well. That's the Lord's Supper. Uh, he is, is his coming to us in that fellowship of a meal, his making himself one with us and in, in eating with us in that meal. We, we eat with Jesus in the Lord's Supper. We eat his very body and blood, but also that fellowship there. Now, whether Abraham knew it was the Lord or not, nevertheless, his actions are still a reminder to us, as Hebrews 13, 2 reminds us, to be, to show hospitality to others. Uh, whether we know that people are the Lord or not, whether we know that they're angels or not, we ought to treat them as if they are. That's what Jesus tells us in Matthew 25, 45. Then he shall answer them, saying, Verily I say to you, inasmuch as you did it to one of the least of these, he did it to me. That we should treat everyone we meet with the same respect, with the same love, with which we would treat them, even if it was Jesus himself. We would have no problem being overjoyed and running around quickly, being excited if someone of great fame or someone we thought of great importance or someone whom we loved dearly was to come to our house for a meal. Uh, and we should show that same excitement and love to everyone because they all men are God's children, are created in God's image. Uh, God loved all men enough to, to give himself uh, to die for, for all people. And he wants us to, to treat all people in that same way. Nevertheless, Abram's hospitality, which this account often causes people to talk a lot about hospitality, uh, Abram's hospitality is really a side issue. It's not really the point of this account. Uh, it's, it's very much a side issue. Which is better, we might say, we might ask your kids too, which is better, Abram's faith or Abram's good works? Abraham shows his good works in his entertaining of these men, whether he knew it was the Lord or not. But his faith is the more important. His faith was accounted to him for righteousness. Think of the thief on the cross. <laughs> the thief on the cross received full forgiveness and entrance to heaven. Consider the difference between the thief of the cross and the rich young man. The rich young man who came to Jesus saying, I have kept all the commandments. I've done everything that was commanded of me. The, the thief on the cross received full forgiveness and entrance to heaven. The, the rich young man received nothing from Jesus, went away empty of any heavenly treasure. He did not even receive the forgiveness of sins because he didn't ask for it and because he didn't repent of his sins. It's far better to be the thief than the rich young man. Uh, faith in God's promises is a far greater gift than our own work righteousness. Uh, faith in God can forgive all sins and get us into heaven. Our own work righteousness, whereas it might be a good thing to do, uh, accomplishes nothing before God. And so we, we see that difference here in this account as well. And continuing with verse 9, Genesis 18 verse 9, Then they said to him, Where is Sarah your wife? So she said, Here in the tent. And he said, I will certainly return to you according to the time of life. And behold, Sarah, your wife, shall have a son. Now Abraham and Sarah were old, well advanced in years, and Sarah had passed the age of childbearing. Therefore Sarah laughed within herself, saying, After I have grown old, shall I have pleasure, my Lord being old also. And the Lord said to Abraham, Why did Sarah laugh, saying, Shall I surely bear a child, since I am old? Is anything too hard for the Lord? At the appointed time I will return to you according to the time of life, and Sarah shall have a son. But Sarah denied it, saying, I did not laugh, for she was afraid. And he said, no, but you did laugh. Well, here we see Sarah's doubt, and we all doubt God's promises. It's really foolish of us, because as God himself says, is anything too hard for the Lord? We know full well that there's nothing the Lord can't do. And really, 
Our laughter, our disbelief of God, isn't so much a disbelief of his power as it usually is a disbelief of his grace. We know God can do anything. We just don't really expect him to do the miraculous. We're so used to things going on as they always have since the foundation of the world. We're, we're so ex used to, well, I, I go to work, I earn money, I use that money to buy bread. Now, we don't really expect the bread to show up on our table <laughs> when we get home miraculously. And it usually doesn't. God usually uses natural means. But when God gives us a promise, a promise for something that seems ridiculous to us uh, a promise to to give a child uh, you, even when the woman in question is nine years old we should we should believe it we have trouble with that and so the lord helps us as as we see with sarah continuing with 21 chapter 21 verse 1 and the lord visited sarah as he had said and the lord did for sarah as he has spoken for Sarah conceived and bore Abram a son in his old age at the set time of which God had spoken to her. So God, when he was talking to Sarah, talked about visiting her. I will visit you again in about a year. And here again we have uh, the Lord visited Sarah. And although the first time the visit was a visible visit, Sarah could see and hear God, uh, this second visitation of the Lord in chapter 21 does not seem to be such. There's no record of Sarah seeing the Lord. That word, the Lord visited Sarah, uh, does not mean necessarily a visible visitation in the way that we would think of it coming and talking to us in person. Rather, it's a term that is often used in the Old Testament for the Lord touching the life of his people to bring about his promises. When God sent Moses to, to lead his people out of, Israel, out of Egypt, we're told that he visited his people. He remembered his covenant that he had given to Abram and to Jacob and to Isaac and to Jacob, and he visited his people. Uh, when and when Zechariah, you remember Zechariah, the father of John the Baptist, you know, he was mute uh, since when he saw the angel, from the time he saw the angel until the birth of his son Isaac, or his son John. Actually, to, until eight days after the birth of his son John, until the, the day his son was, was circumcised in name, Zechariah was mute. But on the day that uh, his mouth was opened to speak, on the day that John was circumcised, Zechariah gave that song of praise to God, the Benedictus, and in that he praised God because he has visited and redeemed his people. God has finally brought about the promise that he had given way back to Adam and Eve. And so this term, God visited his people, is a reference to God bringing about his promises. It's a, it's a term that reminds us again of the garden of Adam and Eve. What did God do for Adam and Eve? He visited them in their sin. He visited them and gave them the promise. And so now he also visits to bring forth the fulfillment of that promise. Uh, Isaac is a foreshadowing of Christ here. God visited Sarah to bring about his promise just as he visited Mary visited his people to bring about his promise there. Uh, God, it, it re references back to that same uh, appearance as a man. He, he visited Abram in the form of a man to have fellowship with him. And so once again, it's a, a reference to that God walking with his people as one of us, uh, his fellowship with us, that, that beautiful term, Emmanuel. God visits us often in our lives as well, even without our realizing it. We don't see him, but he often visits us to bring about his promises in our lives. Uh, we, in, our, in our foolishness, in our sinfulness, we don't, often don't even see what God is doing. Nevertheless, he does. And he certainly visits us in his sacraments, especially in the Lord's Supper, that close fellowship we have with him.
So God visited Sarah as well, and she bore Abram a son in his old age, at the very time God said he was. And Abram called the name of his son who was to be born to him, whom Sarah bore to him, Isaac. Then Abram circumcised his son Isaac when he was eight days old, as God had commanded him. Now Abram was 100 years old when his son Isaac was born to him. Side note here, Sarah was about 90 then. And Sarah said, God has made me laugh, and all who hear will laugh with me. She also said, who would have said to Abram and Sarah, who would have said to Abram that Sarah would nurse children? For I have borne him a son in his own age. So the child grew and was weaned, and Abram made a great feast in this, on the same day that Isaac was weaned. The name Isaac means laughter, and laughter is a, is a key component of this account. Sarah laughs in derision at God to begin with because she doesn't believe God's promises, but now she laughs in joy at the fulfillment of God's promises. And God's salvation of mankind is, in some sense, God's joke on humanity. The Apostle Paul talks about that, uh, God's laughter, uh, in 1 Corinthians 1.21, when he reminds us, For since in the wisdom of God... The world through wisdom did not know God. Therefore, it pleased God through the foolishness of the message preached to save those who believe. Man who thinks himself so wise and so great laughs at God and God laughs at man in making his salvation so easy and bringing about his salvation in something that man considers to be foolish. That God would use a woman who is about 90 to bear a son seems like utter foolishness to man. That God would use that child, Isaac, to bring about the salvation of the world, not Isaac himself, but through the seed of Isaac, uh, to bring about the Savior seems like foolishness to man. That God would save us by becoming one of us and suffering with us and suffering for us seems like foolishness to man. That God would save us through a carpenter and one who willingly died on the cross rather than leading large armies in glorious victory seems like foolishness to man. Everything that God does seems like foolishness to, to a human way of thinking. But those of us who believe, those of us who believe God's promises, we laugh in joy, we laugh in wonder with Sarah at the wonderful thing God that God has done, that he would bring about our salvation through no effort of our own, that his grace would be so great that he would become one of us. Those who do not believe God's promises laugh in derision and in scorn at God. This actually happens in the next verses. You see that that contradiction that difference between those who believe and those who don't uh, because sarah laughs in joy at the fulfillment of god's promise but ishmael unfortunately laughs at scorn ishmael makes fun of isaac and laughs in at and laughs in scorn at him and because of it ishmael is cut off from abraham and from the promise god still deals wonderfully in his grace and still fulfills his promise to abraham to make ishmael a great nation but ishmael himself is cut off again it reminds us uh, that uh, that a thief on the cross would be saved, right? That a thief on the cross would be saved and would go to heaven. And yet, on the other hand, that young rich man who lived his whole life according to the commandments and thought he had done everything God had commanded would not receive God's forgiveness, at least at the, not at the time when he came to Jesus. Hopefully he repented later and was saved, but at that time would not. Re Again, that's foolishness to man. Man laughs in scorn at it. Here we have a thief who has spent his whole life doing what is sinful, uh, and most men would consider beneath their notice. On the other hand, you have that rich young man who seems so virtuous that God would save the thief 
<laughs> not the rich man. That's something that that human that those who do not believe laugh and scorn but to us who are being saved it's a wonderful truth to know that we are saved despite our sin uh, that god does forgive us and redeems us through his son isaac laughter god's deliverance causes us to laugh in joy at the wonderful things that god has done he has visited and redeemed his people lord's blessings on your sunday school lesson as always let me know if you have any questions